You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Father, you are worthy of praise. Thank you that we can join into you in song together. Thank you that we can adore you and exalt you and glorify you. There is none like you, none beside you. You are great and greatly to be praised. As we've uh, worshipped you in song, so now, Lord, we worship you through the listening and obedience to your word. Guide us in this, that you may be worshipped more. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The verse that was read together in the previous song will be our text for today. I would invite you to open up your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 1 as we consider verse 3 to 5 together. Pastor Paul is away on vacation with his wife, Sue. He'll be away this weekend and next weekend and back the following weekend. Over these two weekends, we're going to be concluding a series that we started uh, earlier on in 2019, uh, The Excellent Way, Following the Excellent Way, which is considering the virtues of Christian living, faith, hope, and love. But before we do start the sermon, I would like to, um, to say thank you. Um, since the uh, announcement two weekends ago that um, I'd be succeeding Pastor Paul as the next senior pastor of our church starting January 1st. I've received many uh, kind and gracious words from much of you. So thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your grace to both me and to Jan. Um, in my entire adult life, Harvest York Region has really been my only home church. And over the past eight or so years, me and my wife have grown much in our walk with Christ here. We've enjoyed growing with you, and we look forward to, Lord willing, many more years growing together. I appreciate your prayers. I would ask that you pray for me, and if you don't know what to pray, pray 2 Timothy 2.15. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Well, let's get into the text together. Uh, As we do, I will have a question to ask you. What would it take to knock you down so that you wouldn't get back up? And you know I'm not talking physically. There's many in you and here in this room that I couldn't knock down for sure. I'm talking spiritually. I'm talking emotionally. What would it take to knock you down so that you couldn't get back up? Uh, Several years ago, I was gifted uh, this book at a conference I went to in 2014 in Orlando. And uh, it's a very special book. It's special because of its age. Pop quiz. What year did the United States have their Declaration of Independence? Bam. 1776. The, this book has been rebound, but this book was printed in 1749, older than the U.S. Uh, it's not only special because of his age, it's special because of its impact. It's a biography written by Jonathan Edwards, but a missionary named David Brainard. And many consider that this book and the distribution of it and the reading of it was one of the catalysts that prompted a global missionary movement across the world in the 18th and 19th centuries. Well, what was so special about his life to spark something like that? 
Actually, not that much. David Brainerd was uh, saved when he was 21, became a missionary around 24, and died before he turned 29. So how did he have so much impact in his life? The impact of his life and his story wasn't so much in success and achievement as what we define it today. The reason his life was so impactful was because of what he endured through. He lost both parents at a young age, desired to be a pastor but was expelled from seminary, ended up being a missionary to the First Nations people in Massachusetts, frequently had severe depression, frequently felt lonely, and had significant physical ailments that gave him chronic pain for his almost entire adult life, and it eventually took his life. What made his life so impactful wasn't so much what he did, but what he endured through. Together with faith and love, the Apostle Paul says that hope is one of the most excellent virtues of Christian living. And be sure, church, hope is the catalyst that will allow the church, that will allow you to endure through any trial. Today, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 5 is going to convince us, Lord willing, of this. Even when, light, when hope feels lost, you can rejoice in God. Even when hope feels lost, you can rejoice in God. This sermon in 1 Peter chapter 1 is going to really answer the questions, why and how? Well, here's the first why. Even when hope feels lost, you can rejoice in God because God has shown us his great Mercy. Let's turn our eyes to the text, chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Even when hope feels lost, friends, you can rejoice in God because God has shown us his great mercy. Well, what is mercy? The scripture really describes two aspects to the mercy of God. And they can be understood by their synonyms. First, uh, God's mercy is displayed in his patient forgiveness. It would be fair for a righteous God to punish all sinners for any sin. And still, God shows us mercy. He patiently withholds the punishment that we deserve from the consequences of our sin giving us opportunity to repent. And if we do repent, he absolves our sin and there is no punishment. God's mercy is displayed in his patient forgiveness and in his compassion. Sin has left humanity in a wretched and cursed state. And don't let the culture confuse you otherwise. Humanity is not generally good it's, we are comprehensively corrupt. And our sin has put us in a pitiful state before God. Before God, we deserve to be treated as abandoned orphans. 
We deserve to be treated as hated enemies. Yet, God still chooses to show mercy. He doesn't pass over our pitiful state. He stops and stoops down and lifts us up, welcoming us, not as enemies, but as friends by faith in Jesus Christ and adopting us as his own children. No wonder the apostle Peter calls God's mercy great. And look at what that means for you, church. Because God has shown us his great mercy, we have new life. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. It's true, human nature is comprehensively corrupt because of the curse of sin, but that's not how God created us. That's not how God designed us. Yet when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Father recreates us and gives us new life, fundamentally changing our spiritual nature so that we can again live in the way that God designed us. That means that your heart can love God and the things of God. Your mind can know God and be enlightened in the word of God. And your will can be trained to obey the word of God and follow the way that Jesus Christ lived. Because of God's great mercy, we have new life and we have a living hope. Verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. What is hope? I'd say this. Hope is the confident expectation that God's promises will be realized. Hope is the confident expectation that God's promises will be realized. Hope is not a wish. A wish is putting your expectations in uncertainty. A wish is what you have when you buy a lottery ticket. A wish is what you have when you blow out birthday candle cake, birthday cake candles on your cake. A wish is what you have when you throw a coin in the fountain. Hope is the confident expectation that God's promises will be realized. And the people that Peter wrote to, they, they needed hope bad. Because they were living as strangers in a culture that didn't accept them. And the people that Peter wrote to were being mistreated by their neighbors just for the mere fact that they were Christians. And Peter wrote to them to give them hope in the midst of their trials, in the midst of being mistreated. I wonder, what do you need hope for today? What burden are you carrying into church today? What trial is testing your faith today? Maybe you're experiencing trials through failing physical or mental health. Maybe you're feeling family or marital conflict. Maybe there's financial instability. You're grieving over the loss of a loved one. Maybe you're being alienated by others because of your faith. Maybe your mind is persistently being attacked by demonic lies that feels like being pierced by arrows. 
Maybe you feel the sting of personal failure. Maybe you're being treated unfairly at work. Maybe someone is talking behind your back and smearing your character. Maybe you've got uncertainty about the future. What trial are you carrying with you into church today? Even when hope feels lost, you can rejoice in God. See, maybe your trials have made you feel like a neglected houseplant. You know, one of those ones that haven't been watered in weeks and it's just limp and withered and dry and just desperate for some water. What can we do as a people of God? What can we do as a church to to water the soils of our hearts so hope can flourish again? What can you do today? Let me give you three things that you can do to, to water the soil of your heart and let hope flourish in your life again. Number one, if you need hope, if you want hope, you need to be born again. You see, if you've come into church today and you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, we're very glad you're here. But in love and truth, I want you to know that without God, you have no hope. If you think that you don't need forgiveness from God or that you can earn your way into eternal life by your good living, you have no hope. You see, we are comprehensively corrupt in our nature from the heart out. And the bad news is, is that, friend, that you can, there's nothing you can do to fix that. The good news is that God did. You see, there's a consequence for our sin. And the consequence is death. But when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he suffered for your sins so that you could be saved from your sins and be reunited back to God. You see, sin separates us from God and without God we have no hope, but in Christ we're reunited back to God. So friend, if you recognize that you are a sinner, believe, believe that Jesus Christ suffered in your place for your sins and in that moment, the, the chasm that separates you from God will be bridged and you, you will be reunited back to your Father and you will again have hope. Not a wish of eternal life, but the promise. And Christian, if you're here today and you don't have hope, you, 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 you must water your soul with the promises of the gospel. You must, must nourish your heart with the promises of the gospel and meditate on them frequently. And if you don't, I don't know how you can have hope. Because again, what, what is hope? Hope is the confident expectation that God's promises will be realized. But if you're not meditating on God's promises, what do you have? Allow me to give you three promises from God's word that you can nourish your soul with today and have hope. And they're all from the same chapter of Scripture, Romans 8. Nourish your heart with Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28, God promises that all things, even our trials, 
all things work together for good. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. You might not see how these things fit together, but God does. You may not see how good may come out of this, but God is ordering it for good. Believe that and have hope. Romans 8, 31 and 32. In Romans 8, 31 and 32, God promises that he is for us and he gives us all we need. It says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? It doesn't matter how alone you feel. It doesn't matter who you think is against you. God is with you. And God's already giving you his son. How will he not also give you everything else you need? He will. Believe that and have hope. Romans 8.38. In Romans 8.38, God promises that nothing can separate us from his love. It says, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Doesn't matter your trial. Doesn't matter your personal fear, your personal failure. It doesn't matter your grief. None of these things can separate you from God's love because God's love for you is determined and secured by what we see at the cross. We have hope that nourishes us when we're born again. We have hope that nourishes us as we meditate on God's promises. And we have hope nourished through the encouragement of godly Christian community. Believe it. If you need hope, you need to be connected into the body of Christ. Hebrews chapter 3 says that by isolating ourselves, our minds will deceive ourselves sinfully and our hearts will be hardened. Be sure one of the quickest ways to despair is to isolate yourself from other Christians. Maybe you're doing that. Maybe you're trying to grin and bear and just white knuckle through your trial. Men particularly do this. And they might think, well, you know, I, I tried it once. I tried small group once. It didn't work. Okay. Well, know then. Like building wealth, building strong Christian relationships doesn't happen overnight. Like building wealth Building strong Christian relationships takes faithful deposits over long periods of time. That is the way that we will yield the greatest returns. And you ought to start somewhere. But some of you might think, it's like, you know what? I just don't want to share my business with other people. I don't need to share my business with other people. It's enough for me to just come on the weekend, sit in my chair, and leave. 
Okay, friend, I don't know what you're trying to hide from others, but it's not hidden from God. Your father sees you as you are and welcomes you as you are in Christ. Believe that the body of Christ will welcome you in the same way. If born-again believers water the soil of their heart with the promises of God and with trusting Christian community, hope will flourish because of God's great mercy. Even if hope feels lost, you can rejoice in God. Not only does this passage say that we can rejoice in God because of his great mercy, but also you can rejoice in God because God has shown us his great power. Let's read the text again, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, the cynics amongst us might ask or might consider, all right, hope is an expectation. That means hope is really in my mind, right? And if hope gives me a security of hope, my mind where I am now, then, then what concrete evidence that do you have for me to actually think that the things that you're telling me are true? What concrete evidence do you actually have that there's actually hope that I can trust in? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Everything that I'm about to tell you in this moment is information that history shares that agrees with Scripture, but is actually outside of Scripture. Non-Christian, secular history teaches us that Pontius Pilate tried and had Jesus crucified in the early first century, and that he died. It teaches us that he was buried in a tomb guarded by Roman soldiers, It teaches us that that tomb was empty three days later and a message of uh, resurrection was proclaimed within Jerusalem and none of the Jewish nor Roman leaders could show a body saying that he was still dead. And then the message of resurrection continued to spread through the known world and more and more believed in it. Because the best secular history that we have agrees with the claims of Scripture. Christ is risen. Amen. And this is our certain evidence that we have a living hope because we have a living Savior. Anchor your faith in that and you will have hope that flourishes from the power of God. The resurrection is the power of God. It is the means by which the Father shows his great mercy, giving us new life, providing our living hope. We are risen to new life with hope because Christ is risen to new life. And now, because of God's power in the resurrection, Christian, you know what that means for you? You have a sure inheritance. Look at the end of verse 3, beginning of verse 4. It says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. What's this inheritance that the Apostle Peter is talking about? 
Well, the biblical audience that first would have read this, especially the Jewish audience, would have understood that an inheritance is a gift passed from father to child, not by merit that it was something that the child earned, but by mere fact that the child was a child of the father. If you have believed in Jesus Christ, you are a child of God the Father. And God has promised an inheritance to his children. It's not something that they earn by their work, but something that's given as a right, a gift by the mere fact that you are a child of God. And that inheritance, Christian, is eternal life. One day we will be made like our living Christ. Our gift is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. You have a sure inheritance. You may be feeling pain right now in your trial, but do you know the truth of Scripture? It says that our present sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the eternal weight of glory that awaits us. And moreover, Romans chapter 8 says that we will be glorified with him provided we suffer with him. You have a sure inheritance and you have a secure future. Look at verse four and then verse five. It says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What is the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time? Well, the salvation that the Apostle Peter is referring to isn't personal conversion. He already covered that part when he talked about what it means to be born again. This salvation is talking about a future, final deliverance that will come when Jesus Christ returns again. When Christ returns again, he will vindicate his people. He will have vengeance on his enemies. He will abolish the curse of sin and he will establish his eternal kingdom. No death, no trials, no mourning. All of these things will have passed away. And God is guarding this secured future for you. And you can know that you have this secured future because of the deposit, because of the down payment that God has already given you. You see, Ephesians chapter one says that the Holy Spirit is the down payment of your future reward. So Christian, as you live by the Spirit, as you walk by the Spirit, as the Spirit convicts you of sin and awakens your heart to love God and to love others, and as the Spirit produces within you uh, joy and peace and patience, and as you use this gift of the Spirit that you've been given to serve one another, all of these things, as you experience all of these things, that's a reminder, that's a reminder that as much of a joy as it is to walk by the Spirit now, you have a down payment of eternal life that is guaranteed for you. By the power of God, you have a sure inheritance and you have a secured future. So even when hope feels lost, you can rejoice in God. But right now, 
in this body, as we wait, the trials are hard, aren't they? My wife and I went to a farmer's market in southern Ontario this past like, summer, fall, I think it was. And uh, it was a unique area, very popular farmer's market, and that area has a lot of Amish communities. If you're not aware what an Amish people are, these are um, groups of people who intentionally choose to withdraw from like the main patterns and streams of uh, the culture that we live in. They choose to withdraw and generally don't have, choose not to have the same access to technology that a lot of us do. Uh, so uh, a lot of these Amish people had vendors in the var uh, farmer's market. So while if you go to the mall and buy something today, you can use like a credit card or like your phone or even like a watch. At a lot of these Amish vendors in the farmer's market, they took cash. So what that means is that the farmer's market, the three longest lines were uh, the apple fritters and the bathrooms and the ATMs. And these aren't the type of ATMs that like, you can deposit into at a bank branch. These are the ones that you just withdraw from and withdraw from and withdraw from. And for many of us, that can feel what our trials do to us every day. There's another burden and another sickness and another conflict lined up and lined up and lined up, and it feels like every day life is just taking and taking, and taking, and taking, taking your joy, taking your peace, taking your relationships, taking your youth, taking your plans. Is that what life feels like to you now? And I gotta be honest with you, friends. If your attention is only fixed on the trial that is ahead of you right now, and if this is all that has your attention, I'm not surprised if you feel hopeless. But if you would allow the truth of Scripture to reorient your perspective and reorient your thinking and reorient your outlook to look beyond what is just immediately in front of you now, and ahead to the sure inheritance and living hope that we have in the future, that's when hope can flourish in you again. See, when we say, even if hope feels lost, you can still rejoice in God, this rejoicing, it doesn't mean that it's like you need to diminish the reality of your trials. Doesn't mean to mean you need to hide the fact that what you're feeling is a burden. Rejoicing in God doesn't mean that you gotta put on your choir robes and have a nice smile and two step to the music. No, no, some of the sweetest times of worship that I've experienced in my life have been in some of the most horrible times of grief. You can rejoice in God when you're head hangs low like a bowling ball and that you can't lift up. You can rejoice in God when your face is washed with tears that just don't seem to stop flowing. You can rejoice in God when, when your soul feels it's been filled with quick drying cement and you're just barely dragging yourself down all day 
long. If you lift your eyes up beyond your trial and see the hope that is ahead of you. You don't need to consign yourself as a Christian just to the only parking spot I get in this parking lot of life is the one of the back corner and I gotta go to that one every day. Despair is not the default outlook of the Christian. It's hope. And isn't this the attitude that Christ had? Listen to this verse, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 2. It says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Look to Jesus, friend. Look beyond your trial and look to Christ. I wonder, though, how was the writer of Hebrews able to say that Jesus had joy ahead of him at the cross. What part of the crucifixion did Jesus have joy about? Was it a joy to be betrayed by his friend? Was it a joy to be stripped nearly naked while mocked and whipped? Was it a joy to carry a wooden beam on his back after he was tortured? Was it a joy to be nailed to that wooden beam? Was it a joy to be lifted up on that wooden beam in the air until he suffocated to death? Was it a joy to suffer the holy wrath of God? What reasonable person would look at a trial like this and say that there was joy set before him? Because your example, Jesus Christ, was able to look beyond the cross and endure the cross because he saw that after the cross he would be seated at the right hand of God. And he is your example in your trial too. Lift your eyes, Christian. Look to Christ. And if you find yourself in a place where your eyes are fixed on Christ, then, then you, you, look to your brothers who have their heads down. Look to your sisters who are filled with sorrow and let them lean on you and point their eyes to Christ that the body of Christ might bear each other's burdens. Because this is the one law of Christ, that we would love one another. Don't diminish the reality of the trial that is in front of you. You won't do well to do that. But you will do well to look beyond that to the hope that is secured because of the power of God, the inheritance that we have, and the future that is secured. Even when life feels hopeless, we can rejoice in God. But I would ask you, Christian, Will you? Will you? An opportunity for hope to rejoice in him is afforded to you today. God's priority for you in your trial isn't to relieve the pain. It's not to make you happy. It's not even necessarily to ease the burden. God's heart for you is that you would rejoice in this. Will you allow the truth of our hope 
to nourish your soul so that you can rejoice in Him today. And if you are in a burden today, know that you're in good company. If you feel like you have failing health, constantly sad, lonely, all of your plans have been lost, relationships are burdened, you're in good company like David Brainerd. You're in good company like the Apostle Paul. You're in good company like Jesus Christ. And near the end of his life, the sickly David Brainerd wrote a letter to his brother encouraging his brother how he can live a life that's glorifying to God. Listen to the words of a man who suffered so much that you will be encouraged to endure with hope and rejoice in God as he did. David Brainerd wrote saying, once more, never think that you can live to God by your own power or strength, but always look to and rely on him for assistance. Yes, for all strength and grace. There is no greater truth than this, that we can do nothing of ourselves. Even when hope feels lost, you can rejoice in God. Let the promises of the gospel nourish your heart so that you can open your mouth and praise the one who is worthy of it. Would you stand with me as we pray and then sing together? Father, thank you for a savior like Jesus who is kind and tender, who is our king, who is the true prophet, and who is our great high priest, who sympathizes with our weaknesses and is able to give us grace and mercy in our time of need. And Lord, many of us in here today are in need, Lord. We are in need because we are burdened by trials, various trials, different trials, trials that are testing us, trials that are, feel like they're burning us and weighing us down. But thank you for the blessed hope of the gospel. Father, let us lift our eyes up to you. Would your spirit lift our eyes up to you that we might see the rescue that we can have in you, that we can see the anchor that we have in you even through the, the, the wildest storms, that we can see the security that we have in you in the future, the promise of eternal life and glorification even though I feel like I am being beaten down day by day. Lord, lift your church up that we would have hope and live by it. We are in need, Lord. You are able to meet our need and lift us up that we might worship you as you are worthy of it. In Jesus' name, amen.